Yeah, tonight we're reading from Book of Romans, Chapter 4. Um, I'm going to try and read the whole thing, but we'll see how I go. It's not that long. What then can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the godly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man God God credits righteousness to apart from works. How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How joyful is the man the Lord will never charge with sin. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, who are not only uncircumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise is cancelled. For the law produces wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all in God's sight. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in the faith. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, because he was fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was credit to him for righteousness." Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well done, Sally. You didn't feel long. That was good. Hello, everybody. Now, hopefully you've uh, got your Bibles open there. And I think there's an outline. Is there? Do an outline get here eventually? That's good. You've got that. Um, Really good if you have your Bibles open. That will be very helpful. We'll uh, look down at a few points and uh, try and 
take note of those and use those to uh, help us think through and understand and hold on to what it is we're hearing. Uh, I always uh, like to remind us before we begin that, uh, you know, um, nothing happens if we don't listen. I know it's a funny thing to say, but it's so easy to have the words go over and nothing stick. You know, that sort of you throw mud, but it doesn't get there. It's, so you can, you know how words can just be words, but it doesn't stick, that sort of stuff. And so that's why we pray that God will help us. But it's also why sometimes we take notes so that we can, so the words can stick a bit, uh, so that we can think about what God says. Because nothing happens without us listening. It's sort of like we were reminded on the weekend that the actual speaker was absolutely brilliant and uh, we always invite people who are better than what we have and say, so you miss out on someone better, uh, which probably isn't hard. But still, no, 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 except for Chris. But, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, one of the things that sort of grabbed me, he said many things that grabbed me, but one of them was uh, that, that whole idea of you can't grow without serving, you can't grow without listening. It just won't happen. It's, it's impossible. Uh, it's just the way God's designed it. Is it's as we join in that He does stuff in us that it becomes more. He becomes more and more real to us, and it was sort of just sort of something that grabbed onto me. That it's a funny thing, isn't it? It's sort of you learn by doing. He comes to us by doing, uh, as we get into it. That's so. It's, it's a so. Let's pray that we'll listen. Uh, please join me. Our loving Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would help me to be someone who has listened to your Word this week. Uh, I pray that you would help us all to be people who listen to what you say tonight through me. Uh, but Lord, most of all, we, we just pray that you would give us ears to hear that we just love learning uh, more about you. We love learning to get to know you more, uh, that we would find joy in listening to you. Uh, Lord, I pray for those in this room who don't get joy from listening to you. I pray that you would have mercy on them. Uh, and that you would help them to have those ears that find you in here and find joy and thankfulness. And so, Lord, please, please, I pray, open our ears that we might hear, help us to join in and choose to hear, and Lord, please, uh, may we know you better. Amen. A uh, couple of easy questions to begin with, uh, to give you the, the feel. Do your parents have to give you Christmas presents? Yes or no? <laughs> if you're a Peasley, yes. Okay, that's good. Okay, good, good, good. Well, in the answer, in the end, the answer is no. It's it's their kindness that gives you Christmas presents. Good to remember that. Uh, second second thing is, um, does your boss have to pay you for working? Yes, they do. Whatever it is you've agreed to, they've got to pay you. Now. You know, when we come to this part of Romans, that is really the little thought that's behind this section to make sure we get it. And you probably heard that when he when he said it. But if we don't get that sort of thought, we're going to miss that bit that he's trying to get us to see. Uh, but there's a bigger context that he really wants us to get and understand. And the biggest question that this part of Romans is dealing with is really the justice of God. See, he wants us to feel a problem, and it's been raised for us once or twice. I'm going to raise it again. He wants us to feel the problem and then feel the solution so that, well, so that we can see how right and good and unbelievably gracious is God. 
And so, uh, so far, what we have seen uh, through Romans is that uh, we are in an absolutely serious position uh, before God because we all sin and God is angry with sin and we are all people who choose to sin and struggle with sin and there's no one who hasn't sinned and there's no one who hasn't rebelled against God's rule over us and there's no one who hasn't failed to trust him and there's no one who hasn't fallen short even when they're trying of what he wants us to do in our attitudes, thoughts and behaviour. We're stuck under his rightful anger. That's the bad news and he wants us to know it. Uh, and in fact, later on as we get to chapter 6, which is going to get picked up on Easter Sunday a little. It's good news, but it's, we're told, the wages of sin is death. Uh, and by, the, by death, he means second death and he means hell. It's yes, we get AIDS and we die, but that's not bad compared to what can happen after we die, which is second death and what he's talking about. And so bad news is bad. And really, Jesus will never make sense till we get that bad news. But as we saw from John last week, as we're, hitting, as we're always hinting at, because we can't help ourselves, that we're singing about and saying, we all know it, but we're going back and thinking about it. And that is, there is a solution. That is, uh, God has made a way for people who are wrong with him to be made right with him. Uh, he does this apart from law-keeping. He does it apart from you working hard at being good. He wants us to be good. But it's got nothing to do with how he saves us. He's made a way so that we can get right with him, away from his anger, not be wrong anymore, be right by what he has done and it's got nothing to do with being good, though we will. It's through trusting what he has done for us. And so uh, God has decided, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Father, they decided before the creation of the world of what they were going to do, how they were going to save us, and they decided that Jesus was going to come and go to the cross, become a person, grow up, and go to the cross uh, to be our substitute and our representative on the cross so that he will pay the penalty of sin for us as a way of offering us another way so either we pay for it or he will pay for it. And so he goes to the cross to take what we deserve. So now either we pay for our sin after death in hell, in second death, or Jesus will pay it for us if we put our trust in him, if we turn to him. Um, this makes God just which I'll come to in a second, but this is what makes God just. Some illustrations that help me. I want you to imagine that you've got three things that you love at home. Can you do that? Three really important things. You would hate to lose them. And then imagine you go home tonight and someone has stolen your three things and you're just devastated. Like your life feels like it's going to end. These are the things. And uh, let's call them your blah, 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 so that we don't get people confused. And so imagine uh, that you've gone home, you're devastated because your blah, blah, blah has been stolen. You can hardly cope with life. 
And you're just crying, you're telling everyone, you've got everyone praying, Let's, we've got to get back my blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly the police ring you up. You get a phone call and say, hi, are you so-and-so? Are you the one who lost your blah, blah, blah? Yes, I lost my blah, blah, blah. But we've caught the person who stole your blah, blah, blah. So you want to come down here and see them get it for stealing your blah, blah, blah? You go, I'd love to come down and hear them get it for my blah, blah, blah. So you go down to the, to the police station with a judge to watch them get it for stealing your blah, blah, blah. And you hear this amazing conversation. What you hear is... The magistrate, the guy's asking, are you the person who stole their blah, blah, blah? Yeah, I'm the person who stole it. Where is their blah, blah, blah? I sold them. I got rid of them. I spent everything. Can you get the blah, blah back? No, there's no chance of ever getting the blah, blah, blah. There's no way we're ever going to see it again. And then the guy says, or the person who stole it, might be a girl, and who it is, they say, look, but I'm really, really sorry that I stole their blah, blah, blah. And the judge, the police, the magistrate turns around and goes, are you really sorry that you stole their blah, blah, blah? Excellent. Okay, you're forgiven. Okay, off we go. Bye. See you later. How are you feeling? That's not fair. That's not right. You can't let them off for stealing my blah, blah, blah. It's really important. That's just not right. And uh, if you get a feel for this and you get it, what you've got to see, maybe if you can get this feeling, is that's why God just can't forgive people. It's not fair to just say, I forgive you, I forgive you, Chris, I forgive you. It's not fair. It's not right. Can you feel that? Just a bit? That is, it's not right to just forgive people. It's not just. It might be merciful, it might be loving, but it's not right. Now, can you see God's problem? He wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive me. We're the ones who stole the blah, blah, blah. We stole his blah, blah, blah. We're the ones who are in trouble and he wants to forgive us. But if he forgives us, then he's not just. It's not right. But he wants to forgive people, so he's got a dilemma. So how's he going to do it? How is he going to do it, you see, is what Romans is really on about. How can God forgive people and be just? How can he love people and still be just? Because if he's God, he's got to do what is right. And so what God comes up with is that he comes up with the whole idea of him paying that for that sin himself. He comes himself and goes to the cross and pays the price that we owe he brings justice to someone who didn't deserve it so that when he lets someone off, when he says someone is forgiven, then he is just because the price has been paid. He hasn't just let someone off. There's been a gigantic cost. Imagine that you had a gigantic mortgage. It won't be hard for many of you one day if you haven't got it already. And you've got this gigantic mortgage and, uh, you know, uh, let me just pick a number out of there. Let's just go, you know, you wanted everything straight away. 2.5 million. There you go. That's your mortgage. You know, it's four times your pay back every week just to get back the interest rate. But there it is. It's out there. And you've got to pay it back and suddenly you lose your job. Then your wife loses your job or whether around. You lose your job and you go, it can't. There's no way in the world we can even begin to do this. And you go into the bank manager to see him and you, and you go, look, we just want to say we just can't. 
we can't pay it and the, the bottom's dropped out of the market, the house isn't worth that much, even if we sold it, we're still going to owe you just million, what are we going to do? And the dinner goes, oh, what's your name, what's your name, Peasley, 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 Peasley. Um, yeah, yeah, I, ah. That, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. It, 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 you don't know anything. What do you mean you don't know? I owe 2.5 million and the bonds fall out of the market and we've lost our jobs and we, and we can't pay for it. And he goes, no, 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 sorry, it's paid. You don't know anything. Yeah, but no, but I didn't. It, it's, it's not right. It's, it's paid. Look, I don't care. It's, it's got nothing to do with me anymore. It's paid. I, I don't care. You see, you see, that's what what God has done. When we go to stand before him and say, I owe, I owe, I owe, he'll say, oh, you owe, you owe, you owe. When they go to pick up and say, you deserve death and hell, it's going to be, it's not there anymore. It's paid. That's how God's it. So it's fair then God in the way that God has done it. It's been paid in full by Jesus. And so when we get there, we've got to realise that our forgiveness is not free. That's the point. It's not free. It was paid at a gigantic cost to God himself, to Jesus, the Son of God. It's not free. It was a gigantic cost paid by him. Does that, does that make sense? And so the issue of God's justice comes in, in that he must, sin must be paid for, so either Jesus pays for it, out of great mercy, out of great cost from God, or you pay for it, at your great cost forever. That's why it's unbelievable that he would do it, because while we were yet enemies, Christ did this and offered it to us. Nothing to do with what we do, but what he's done, he's just saying, will you come to me, stop ignoring me and take it and I'll deal with it for you. That's where we are when we come to Rome. That's why it's unforgivable to face God without Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. God will not forgive you if you're playing a game, pretending like you're trusting Jesus and following him, but really you're not. You just live a different life as soon as you leave here. You're only tricking one person, and it's yourself. And God's wanting us to see how much trouble we're in, how absolutely brilliant is what he's provided for us, how unbelievably good it is, how much we, we just absolutely need it, and that it is the thing to never be neglected. And what it does is it justifies God to be able to say, I forgive you. It's the only way he can say, I forgive you, because your sin must be paid for. It's that bad. Now, that's what we're leading into as we come up into chapter 4. It's a gigantic thing that God has done. Now, what's he taking on here? Two things. The first thing he's taking on as we get to chapter 4 is he's saying that a lot of people sort of uh, will say, yeah, well, that's lovely, it's lovely what you're saying Jesus did for us, but how come it was different in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, they only got in by being good. They got in by following the law. Remember all those rules? They followed them and that's why they got in. No, what are you saying to something different now? And so people get confused. You'll hear people still say this now. God's different in the Old Testament to the New Testament. The way, you know, it's this misunderstanding that the Old Testament and the New Testament aren't the same thing but with a, with a, with a trajectory onto Jesus. And so the question is, is it different in the Old Testament? Or, well, how come it was different in the Old Testament? And what God, through Paul, is saying to us, no, 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 
This is the way God's always saved people. And so he pulls out two biggies to show us. The first one is Abraham. And what he's saying is Abraham was saved by trusting God. Abraham was saved by trusting God. So one to five. What can we say then about Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, by doing, by obeying the law, he has something to brag about. But not before God, for what does the Bible say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. And then it goes on about the gift and what's owed. Abraham's a very important figure in the Bible. If you haven't worked that out, he's the one through whom God made promises that he was going to bless the world and all the world was going to be blessed through him. Everyone who's going to heaven can be called a child of Abraham. Uh, He is the father of all chosen people. He's the father of everyone who will be with God forever. To be his child is another way of saying that we are forgiven, that we're in his family. And so Abraham is extremely important in the Bible, very extremely important for us, even though we might not know it as well as we can. And so he says, let's go to this really important person and see what he found. When we go and look at him, what do we find? At very at the right at the very start, we said that he was saved by believing God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, uh, and so uh, what he's saying is, was Abraham saved by what he did? No. No, don't be silly. Where'd you get that idea from? Go read your Bible. He was not saved by what he did. Of course, he responded to God, but he wasn't saved by that. What he was saved by was by believing God, trusting God, trusting what God said. And so it was credited to him. Now, I don't know if credit is a word that you're used to. Credit is what's on the positive side. You know, that's, you know, it's debits on the other. Credit is what you've got as extra. It was given to him something extra to him. It was granted to him. It was given to him because he believed what God said. He didn't earn it. It wasn't a wage that he earned by the things that he did in obeying God. It was credited him because he believed that God is a God who keeps his promises. A wage is owed. A gift is given. Abraham was given salvation, but he didn't earn it. He was given it because he believed what God said. God relates to people, God accepts people who trust what he says, trust what he provides, believe what he says, and he gives them righteousness. He grants it to those who trust and believe him. Then he takes on another biggie. He jumps from Abraham and quickly goes to David. So, Verse four to six, chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man of God credit. Oh, sorry, that sounded weird. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man God credits righteousness to apart from works. Remember, righteousness can be used in different ways, but it means rightness with God. And uh, David says what? How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven, whose sins are covered. How joyful is the man the Lord will never charge with sin. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I don't deserve to get in. My only hope is God and God is a God who forgives. I put my trust in him and God forgave him because he put his trust in him. So everyone in the Old Testament was not saved by keeping the law. They were saved by trusting what God said. 
but that trusting what God said then, of course, showed, the, showed in their lives. And so uh, salvation is something that God gives to people who trust him. And so Abraham was saved by trusting God. David was saved by trusting God. Everyone is saved by trusting God. So 19 to 17a, all of that stuff about circumcision and uncircumcision is about everyone. And so is the blessing, verse 9, only for the circumcised then? Is it also for the uncircumcised? And then what it's sort of showing is that Abraham was saved when he was uncircumcised, not when he was circumcised. Let me try and explain that to you in case you're rushing out with a rusty knife to sort things out. Um, uh, circumcision of males in the Old Testament was one of the signs of God's promise to Abraham. Uh, cutting the story short, that's, that's the wrong way to say it, isn't it? Um, Abraham thought he would help God and God chopped off his sinful nature. That doesn't help either, does it? And so it was symbolic of... God's promise to forgive anyone who trusts him. And to be circumcised was to say you're a physical descendant of Abraham. To be uncircumcised was to say you were a non-descendant of Abraham. It's a way of saying a Jew, or if you want to put it, a Hebrew, who, became, who were the Israelites who got wiped out so much they ended up being just the Jews of Judah, but it meant the people of Israel. And so to be circumcised was a sign of being these people who are under the promise of Abraham. To be uncircumcised was to say you were not under that promise. That's what it symbolised. We have, it's a sealing promise, that is, it was to remind the people that God made a promise to them. Those who cut off their sinful nature, not the end of their penis, sorry. Those people were the ones who were forgiven. So it wasn't the actual act, though you had to do it. It was what it symbolised, stop rebelling against God. We have baptism and the Lord's Supper as the signs of the new covenant, the seal of the new covenant. Baptism says you must start with God. He will wash clean anyone who submits to the Lord Jesus. It's also a sign that the Holy Spirit has worked in us and made us born again. And so we seal it, we sign it with the water. But the water doesn't save anyone. It's only those who have put their trust into the Lord Jesus. The Lord's Supper we take every so often to keep reminding one another that God promises that he forgives anyone who takes Jesus into their life, not the bread and the wine or the juice. They're two promises from God, seals from God to remember it. Circumcision was an Old Testament sign or seal to remind them of the promise of God that he would forgive anyone who stopped rebelling against him and became his person. Um, and so... What this little section is saying is that because Abraham was forgiven before he was given the sign, it's a way of saying for us that salvation was never only for just the Jews. 
It was for anyone who would trust God and join his people. Um, What's important is not whether a person is descended from Abraham physically. What's important was did they believe God's word like Abraham. Can you see that? As we've seen in other places and keeps working through Romans, that what matters is those who are people who trust like him. When we have faith in God's promises for us, when we put our faith in what God has provided in Jesus on the cross, we then are the true children of Abraham. Abraham was saved by trusting God's promise. David was saved by trusting God's promise. Everyone is saved by trusting God's promise for us, for trusting Jesus and his promise to us in him on the cross. Everyone who stops rebelling against him, puts their trust in him, uh, is forgiven. And so uh, God is reminding of us that the way God saves people in the New Testament is the same way he saved them in the Old Testament. He doesn't deal with people in any other way. Of course he cares about what we do. We are to respond. We will respond to him, but we're never saved by our response. Our response just shows that we are one of his people. We have joined him. We have submitted to him. We have put our trust in him, uh, and then that changes us. What matters is trusting for, if you're at the fourth point, what Oh, well, first we should read verse 16. So look at verse 16 and the start of verse 17. Just to summarise that one. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee to all of the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, Jews, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all in God's sight. So everyone who trusts is Abraham's child. Everyone who does, that's how God saves people, those who trust him. And so what matters now for is that we trust God's word of promise. That's what God wants. What does he want? He wants us to trust him. He wants us to put our trust in what he provides. So from verse 17, we have Abraham as example of how his trust showed in the way he lived after he was credited with righteousness. He's forgiven, but now it's going to show. And so, as it is written, verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations. He believed in God, who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what he had been spoken, what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He considered his own body to be already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. Without weakening in his faith, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, because he was fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Abraham responded, now lived, trusting in God's promises. That's where you, you saw it. But he was an example that he he is a person who was fully convinced that God could do what he promised. 
That is saving faith. It is believing that what God says will happen. It is being fully convinced that God can do it. Fully convinced that God is the one who can bring life out of death. Fully, life out of death. Fully convinced that he can save us through Jesus doing and paying our punishment for us. That he is the one who will be delivered up for our trespasses and he is the one who was raised for our justification. Just as if I never sinned. We are to be fully convinced that he can do it and he tells the truth and therefore to go on living, trusting that, believing that. And so that's chapter 4. That's, the, that's where we're up to in the whole thinking of Romans. Um, he wants us to be people who believe him, who are fully convinced. If you're not fully convinced that God can forgive you through putting your trust in the Lord Jesus and what he did on the cross... You need to be talking to your growth group leader. You need to be talking to someone. You need to be talking to me. We've got to be fully convinced of what God did for us on our behalf, that the cross is all we need to be totally forgiven for those who stop rebelling against him. To use the Old Testament example, for those who have cut off the sinful nature, they've stopped rebelling against him. They've come and put their trust in him. For use baptism, for those who have died to themselves and raise themselves to Christ. They now live for Christ. For those who have taken Jesus into their life, like the Lord's Supper, now live for him, but their trust is in him for him to forgive them. These are the ones here. You need to be fully convinced of that so that we no, no longer keep saying, I hope I'm forgiven. I know I might be forgiven. That we know, fully convinced, I am forgiven for Jesus is my Lord and my Saviour. He is the one I trust. Fully convinced. So, three last things and I'm finished and it's be time. One, what does God want us to know? That. That's what he wants us to know. He wants us to think that, know that Jesus did it all and all he wants me to do is to trust him. Stop rebelling and trust him. Two, what does he want me to feel? What does he want me to feel? What does he want you to feel? Well, he wants us to feel... And David's a good example here, really brings it out. Joy and thankfulness that he would forgive us right now. Joyful thankfulness as we go about living life with him, the one who's forgiven us. Does it bring you joy to know that you are forgiven? Are you thankful knowing that he has done that for you? Are you living a life of joy and thankfulness? What does he want us to think? Remember all this. What does he want us to feel? Joy and thankfulness. What does he want us to do? Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus for our salvation. Trust Jesus in every area of our life for how to live. Trust me, he says. Trust me. Be fully convinced that he is worthy of trust to grow in that. Um, this truth is now to shape our lives as we live joyfully, thankfully, focused on Jesus from now till we meet him. Amen.